Axis Mundi. Axis Mundi. Welcome to Straight White American Jesus. My name is Brad Onishi, faculty at the University of San Francisco. I'm joined today uh, just by an incredible guest, and that is Dr. Jelaine Schmidt. So Dr. Schmidt, uh, I'm going to tell people all about you in a second, but first I just want to say thanks for taking the time to do this. Sure. Thanks for having me, Brad. So Dr. Jelaine Schmidt, director of the University of Virginia Karsh Institute of Democracy's Memory Project and an associate professor of religious studies there at UVA, is somebody who's has a long and, and accomplished scholarly life, but has spent uh, the last few years deeply involved in a project called Swords into Plowshares, uh, along with several others as part of the steering committee of that project. And it's an initiative to melt down Charlottesville's Robert E. Lee statue to create new public art. Uh, there's a documentary or a short film called Unveiling, The Origin of Charlottesville's Monuments, and uh, is streaming on PBS Now. And we're here to talk because the monument was melted down uh, just a bit ago, and I want to talk about that and other things with you. Uh, I want to start with just a little bit of history. This movement to remove the Lee statue started about seven years ago, if I'm not mistaken, with a high school student named Zanna Bryant, who started a petition to have uh, the memorial or the statue removed. Uh, it grew into one of the most infamous episodes in the Trump presidency because the decision to remove the statue ignited and uh, led to the Unite the Right rally. That is where the Heather Heyer lost her life. And it is where, uh, in the wake of it, Trump said there were fine people on both sides. I think as I say that, people can remember those episodes painfully and uh, with remorse and not really wanting to. You have been on the ground that entire period. What happened after the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally and today to get us to the point where the Lee statue has been melted down. Yeah, well, that, that's a nice encapsulation. I would say, yeah, in 2016, Zion O'Brien's petition was brought to the public and then to city council. And then we had a series of meetings to discuss uh, how community members felt about public space and the monuments. Uh, early 2017, the city council voted to, get re to remove the Lee statue. And I, I should say a lot of people that aren't, you know, that are not from Charlottesville don't realize that the attacks actually started already in February. Scuffles on the downtown pedestrian mall, scuffles at, at the parks, uh, far-right political candidates kind of using this as a launching pad for their campaign and this sort of thing. So this actually, I mean, just in terms of white supremacist rallies, this started way before this, what we call the summer of hate in Charlottesville. That's, that's what we call it because there were actually numerous rallies uh, that went on that are less well-known outside the community. A couple torch rallies, uh, Proud Boys coming, you know, different Confederate groups, Richard Spencer, Identity Europa, all, all these groups that were coming. So so 2017, I was very much involved in planning counter-demonstration to all these uh, assorted uh, white supremacists that were coming to town. Uh, then after the debacle of uh, the Unite the Right rally captured international attention because we were so violently attacked, 
there was a, a lot of uh, court actions, a lot of trial, this sort of thing. So this is like when the cameras go away, the fallout was still happening, political and emotional and, and all that. So supporting survivors became, you know, important through in, in various ways, connecting folks with uh, legal support, emotional support, therapeutic support, that kind of thing. And also uh, something that that uh, of which a lot of people aren't aware who, who aren't from Charlottesville is that these uh, uh, white supremacists kept coming back to town. Actually, they kept coming back and uh, uh, holding yet another torch rally in October of 2017 that year. They came back for other things. And our statues in Charlottesville remained until for four more years. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that. For four more years after the Unite the Right rally, those statues were still there. And that's because we were bound by a court order, a judge's injunction. Um, and and our the city had to, we were sued by a bunch of uh, neo-Confederates, basically, and self-styled uh, statue preservationists. Um, and the city had to, the city of Charlottesville had to battle this in court until April of 2021, almost four years after Unite the Right. So this was going on and on and on and on. In the meantime, white supremacists had uh, kind of uh, self-appointed uh, statue guards um, armed themselves. And Virginia is, uh, is, is uh, an open carry state. So one can kind of go around anywhere with uh, uh, at least with the proper permit and, and be carrying uh, sidearms and, and even long gun. People it's not unknown to go to the Kroger and there's a guy there with a long gun in and in the checkout line. This is this is our reality that we live in. So anyway, there's so these these so-called statue guards started showing up in our parks in 2019 when there was a kind of a spate of uh, so-called vandalism. I would call it alteration that were <laughs> taken by kind of freelance uh, activists and uh, aerosol artists, we might call them. And uh, and so these uh, these armed uh, vigilantes started showing up and accosting people, threatening people, th this sort of thing. They were very chummy with the police as well and would call call the police uh, when they suspected someone, including myself. I would be like walking through the park on my way somewhere and all of a sudden police would just materialize. What are you doing? And just and, and it just felt like public space wasn't public space, public space only belonged to these neo-Confederates who were patrolling the statues. And those of us who were kind of publicly identified with the movement to get rid of said statues, it was like the, this space wasn't ours. And furthermore, armed vigilantes were there and they were effectively uh, uh, a civilian extension of police surveillance. And this was going on and on. In 2019, it really... Uh, picked up in, in summer of 2020 during the George Floyd protests because in Richmond, which is just about a 70-minute drive to the east from Charlottesville. So Richmond is the you know former capital of the Confederacy, just dotted with Confederate monuments all over the place. And during the George Floyd protests in late May and early June, uh, there were kind of bands of protesters going through the streets at night and pulling down statues or uh, spray painting the statue and this sort of thing. And on one particular night, uh, uh, somebody threw a Molotov cocktail through the window of the national headquarters building of the United Daughters of the Confederacy. That is the very organization 
uh, whose uh, mobilization in the late 19th, early 20th century is responsible for having uh, erected a lot of these monuments. And then, of course, in more recent years, when different municipalities have tried to remove these monuments, then often a local chapter or state division of the United Daughters of the Confederacy would file a lawsuit yeah. against folks who were trying to make change. And so uh, it felt very calculated on the part of, 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 of the protesters who did this. And I, and I should say, this is about a year or two after Kahindi Wiley's Rumors of War monument was installed on the neighboring lawn of the Virginia uh, 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 Museum of Fine Arts, which abuts the United Daughters of the Confederacy headquarters building, you see. Um, And so this very potent, uh, you know, kind of uh, 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 expressions about the values in public space. So someone threw a Molotov cocktail through the window of the UDC headquarters in Richmond late one night, Unfortunately, nobody was there. Nobody was harmed. Nobody was hurt. But it did quite a bit of damage. And as a historian, I just had to say they said it even damaged some of the uh, holdings that they had in the library. And I'm like, don't mess with the archives. We need that for the reparations trials. (laughs) I do not approve of this kind of uh, (laughs) burning of... of, (laughs) Anyway, and and apparently, I mean, so they say the uh, uh, the uh, Confederate flag or the second Confederate national Confederate flag, the one which adorned the casket of uh, Confederate General uh, 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 Stonewall Jackson, uh, was irreparably mm-hmm. charred okay. uh, by this fire. So there was a a historical artifact that was lost as well. Anyway, so after that, I think that was the night of June the 1st, 2020, if I I remember correctly. Okay. That's when those so-called vigilant, you know, those statue guards started coming again. And they were there all summer long, almost every night in our parks in Charlottesville. Again, this is three years after Unite the Right. So this is just a constant theme of there just being all sorts of struggles over the meanings of public space in our community in Charlottesville um, that, that were going on and the feeling of intimidation of that the supposedly public space, but it's being surveilled by people who are very hateful. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the same people, these statues, so-called statue guards, some of them were the same people who'd come to Unite the Right. Yeah. Several years before, people don't understand that. You know what I mean. And then some of the, and some of them were also the same people who were among the plaintiffs who sued Swords into Plowshares uh, a couple of years later. So, anyway, so we've been going through a lot. And part of what happened was that in September 2020, when Albemarle County, mm-hmm. that is the, the county with within which uh, Charlottesville is situated, their board of supervisors. Visors removed a statue of uh, Johnny Reb, as it's called, a kind of generic Confederate soldier that was on the, the courthouse lawn. And this courthouse, although it's up the county, it's within Charlottesville's downtown. So they were able, the, the county, because it controls that little spot of ground there, notwithstanding the fact that it's within Charlottesville, the county was able to remove that statue, one of these mass-produced bronze soldier statues, in uh, September of 2020, while we, the city, still remained, okay, under a judge's injunction. Our statues were still up 
Yeah. Again, now we're three years past Unite the Right. And we we had uh, uh, in, in, in early 2020, a bunch of us from Charlottesville had gone to the General Assembly uh, in Richmond and lobbied both the House of Delegates and the senators uh, and were successful in getting a 100-year-old law changed. Yeah. And this law had, had prohibited uh, uh, Virginia municipalities from removing these Confederate statues. So we were really hemmed in by the Nazis on one side of us and, and the law on, on the other. So you have the kind of the extra, extra legal um, violent enforcement in the streets and then the legal apparatus of, of the state statute and judicial uh, processes, lawsuits that are hemming us in there. Meanwhile, the police is kind of, kind of on the side of so-called law and order. Yeah, in this thing. So it was very frustrating. I mean, it was, it was trauma. 2017 with the Unite the Right rally was trauma. But then it was four additional years yeah. until we finally were able to remove these statues in, in 2021. And I think a lot of listeners or people outside of Charlottesville just don't realize what a process it was. And that while y'all, all the rest of y'all over the con- all over the country, after Charlottesville Unite the Right rally, were take walking up your statues and taking them away. We were still sitting there with ours. And plus, those Nazis kept coming back, you know. Well, and it, it's almost as if you're describing, you talked about the neo-Confederates uh, who sued, and it's, it's, it's almost as if a neo-Confederate army, uh, to use one way of putting it, was guarding the, the, the Lee statue for these interim years. And mm-hmm. uh, thank you for providing that context. I think it's easier for people to remember the tiki torches and think, oh, those are just Nazis. They're zombies. Who, who, who are those people? And then they left. Well, no, they were some of the plaintiffs. They were some of the ones standing near the statue, terrorizing people with their weapons. They were getting the police called on folks trying, just trying to walk through the park. So it really provides that, that local perspective. Uh, now, the, if we fast forward till today, mm-hmm. the statue has been taken down, of course, and melted mm-hmm. down. Yeah. You mentioned all the other monuments that have come down across the country. This one it did not just go into a museum. This one did not go into storage somewhere. Mm-hmm. This one was melted. You've called yeah. that a moral choice yeah. uh, or a, a moral uh, uh, risk. I, I apologize. Mm-hmm. It's a moral risk. What is the moral mm-hmm. risk of melting it down? Yeah. Well, I wrote about this in an op-ed that was published in the Richmond Times-Dispatch. And maybe I can send you a link to that so that your listeners can, yeah. can see that, where I kind of laid out what the problems are. Okay. And this was after the county, like I mentioned, removed that Johnny Reb statue in September of 2020. Meanwhile, our statues are still up, right, in Charlottesville. What was very uh, dismaying to a lot of us activists there and community members was that the county board of supervisors, that municipal body, not the Charlottesville City Council, these are two separate bodies, right? The county board of supervisors gave that removed soldier statue to an organization uh, that was some kind of neo-Confederate in its leanings and that the uh, it was clear um, that was going to present this statue, situate this statue on a battlefield where it would continue to broadcast the same lost cause values that it had been broadcasting for 111 years from the steps of our courthouse. And so we saw that in fall of 2020, and we said, oh, no, this cannot happen with Charlottesville statues. We got to work planning. So that is how we really started in earnest with uh, figuring out when such time would finally arrive, when you know the Virginia Supreme Court would finally rule in our favor. And this was a leap of faith. We didn't know if that would even happen at all. But it, like, let's get the practical steps together 
to make sure that our statute is not simply just what I call shipping our toxic waste down the road. That's not responsible. That's not a responsible. If this thing is so harmful in your community, if it is known to be a beacon for white supremacists, and as I've just described for four years after Unite the Right, they were still coming. It was like their little rallying point. We didn't, that would not have been responsible ethically, morally, to simply send, oh, this community over here wants it. Well, let's send it to them. That's not responsible. And so we really had to think about what we could do. And the handy dandy uh, uh, solution that's often offered is, well, we'll just put the, if you remove the, the statue, just put it in a museum. Okay. And philosophically, I am all in favor of that. I mean, I'm a historian, that sort of thing. I go to museums and there's all kinds of, of crazy stuff. And so if it's properly curated. No. So, yeah, I think we can learn from these things. Again, if it's properly framed. I don't have the same reaction. Like when I go to a museum, like, for instance, yeah. at Appomattox in Virginia, which is where the police surrendered to Grant, uh, kind of thus ending the Civil War. You know, they have Confederate flags on display, but they're under glass and it's like it's being it's being, I don't have the same visceral reaction that I do when there's a guy in my park holding a Confederate flag in one hand and a gun in the other. So there is such a thing as as responsible curation. The problem is that practically speaking, we called all around to all the reputable museums, the Smithsonian's, the Museum of, of uh, American Civil War, all, all these, you know, even like kind of reputable battlefields that are run by the National Park Service. It's like, oh, well, this could be appropriate if it's nobody wants it. Nobody wants this stuff except the very people who shouldn't have it. There it is. There it OK. Is. Yeah. And so it's a practical problem. You know what I mean? And the moral rub is this, that the statue is a material object that exists in the world. Yeah. It is literally taking up space, as I said in that interview in the, in the Washington Post. It, it's, it's taking up literal and figurative space. It has to be cared for, attended to. Some, some, it has to exist somewhere because it is an object in physical space. It, it takes up space. So the question is where it's going to go. And no space is morally neutral. This isn't. You know, any space that you are occupying, I'm on doing this podcast from Wampanoag <laughs> territory up, up near Boston. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're all on occupied land unless we're you know, native folk, you know, so, so that's just a one example. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's no morally neutral space. Even if you remove the, like, you could leave the statue in the park and put up a plaque that has kind of mealy mouth phrase and small font about how, like, oh, we don't agree with this anymore, but we just, which begs the question, why do you still have it there, the statue? You can remove the statue and put it in storage. That's what most folks are doing. It's in storage. Okay, so now it's on some back uh, supply lot for the public works yard for the city of Charlottesville, or in the case of Richmond, this is my favorite, it's at the sewage treatment plant. It's very appropriate. But that's still taking up space. But he had to, some city employees had to take a front-end loader and level out the ground, they you know, lay down the four-by-four wooden blocks or this sort of with the get the forklift. I mean, it's an expenditure of staff time, okay? And it's literally, again, it's taking up space. Mm -hmm. Um, how long is it going to sit there? Forever? It's going to take up space? Really? 
that's making choices. I, w- I was just looking at, at my budget for the memory project just today. And we were kind of like figuring out like the expenditures to be made for the Swords into Plowshares project. Well, I'm dedicating these resources over here to Swords into Plowshares. It means this uh, other very deserving project, say, uh, you know, Black History Tour, you know, an art exhibit, all these things. But there's not as much money for that. That is a moral choice. I'm saying that we got to get rid of it. So there's wherever these statues end up, it's a moral choice. And uh and yeah, but the, the, the case is museums don't want them. The only museums that want them are the very ones that shouldn't have and that would do irresponsible curation. And so we had to think, you know, especially with this Lee statue for our community at this time, given what we've gone through and this particular statue, it needs to not be in the world in its current form. And so that, you know, the risk that we take, it's a lot of money. Turns out it's a lot of money. Yeah. Take statue away, cut it up and melt it down. So that's, again, that's an expenditure of time, staff time oh, and resources that could have gone to something else. <laughs> but we're taking this step to be responsible. You no, know? and, and it's not, you know, this isn't some kind of gleeful action or something. I, I've used the, the metaphor but you know it's like if you have a rabid dog that's going around biting people in the neighborhood you now there's some of those like oh but the dog's so cute and it's like yeah but it's it's hurting people and it needs to be euthanized you know what i mean and we we got to just do that as an act of care because it's doing more harm than good it's not possible to it's like like there's not really a cure for radio there's it's not possible to or it would be too much of an expenditure to even try it's it's time and you don't celebrate on the way to the veterinarian's office. It's like, oh, yeah, here we are. We're going to go euthanize a dog. It's like you do it because you're a grown up and, and you're responsible and you want to care for your community and, and, and not have other uh, communities made vulnerable by something that's harmful. I, I've really been thinking about something you've said about this, and that is that the statue was alive from the beginning. And I think mm-hmm. that has helped me think about the kinds of uh, ideas you just presented, because I think oftentimes uh, my students, especially when we talk about myth, if I'm in a religious studies class and I introduce the idea of a myth, I think my students are really able to uh, glom onto the idea of, well, a myth is a story and some stories are quote unquote true. Some stories are quote unquote false, right? And you know, a myth might be a, a story that teaches a lesson or might have a moral or a sense of identity for people, whatever. Here's my point. We're often willing to engage in the veracity of mm-hmm. stories, of narratives. We, we don't often think of monuments as storytelling objects that by the very existence of the Robert E. Lee statue, you're saying there is a story in which Robert E. Lee uh, is someone to venerate. So if you put up a statue, you're telling a story of veneration for this man. And what I take from you is the veneration we are making a moral decision to say as a community, we should have never venerated this man in this public way. And therefore, the decision to melt down the statue is not one of glee. It is not, as some of the oh, the white supremacists on Twitter said, this sign of we want white people to be extinct, right? It is a, it is a, a, it is a storytelling act. It is saying that we are telling a story of our public space that does not venerate this per this person and and his leadership for this cause but in fact and i want to ask you about this 
we will venerate others through public art in other in other forms. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that, th this idea of a monument as a lie, a white supremacist lie, but then also what it means for the plans to uh, use the metal from the statue to create different forms of public art in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first, I want to say a little bit about myth, I mean, which in kind of in common parlance is often used to me in fable, yes. a false story, uh, and this sort of thing. As religious studies scholars, we, we you know, the, the way that we talk about myth, not on, you know, kind of folklore scholars or literature scholars and stuff too, you can call on like Bruce Lincoln, a religious studies scholar at the University of Chicago, I think if he's still there, talked about myth as uh, ideology and narrative form. I think is, yes. is what he said. So, so it kind of, it just kind of recognizes, you know, there are a lot of myths that circulate that, that have uh, more or less kind of support, let, let's put it kind of structural, this sort of thing than others, right? And in the case of the being in the Southern United States where the lost cause uh, 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 version of interpretation of the Civil War was kind of the preferred uh, interpretive frame for white Southerners for decades and decades, over a century. And so this myth of Robert E. Lee was this fine Christian soldier and, on, you know, and all these sorts of, you know, is, is something that is expressed in that. And then you have this object, again, physical object that takes up space that is uh, uh, in a central place in the community where you, you know, pass by on your way to celebrations and this sort of thing, it's in a park, that kind of extols this interpretation of the war, which is very damaging, uh, uh, that dehumanizes you know, in, in its minimizing of the trauma and suffering of enslaved people. And instead, elevating above that, uh, this notion that Lee was a fine Christian and the war, you know, it wasn't about slavery and besides slavery wasn't, that, that is the definition of white supremacy. When black suffering is down here and white, you know, kind of sense of, of pride in, in, a, in a system that, that actively suppressed me, is that, that, that's what white supremacy is. Yes. It doesn't need to be torches marching through your university, you know, guys with Nazi flag, you know, down your street. And it's told in a very pretty, pretty narrative that is wrapped up in a, in a work of art that, that, again, is in a public place. So yours and my tax dollars are supporting that thing. Whenever it would get tagged with graffiti, within a couple hours, the city staff would be there immediately through a power washing it off, you know, and we would, you know, it's like, isn't that something? Look at the values. It's like, can you do that with affordable housing? I was just going to say, like budgets, budgets are moral, are set of moral choices. So we're Absolutely. saying we have the power to show up within a couple hours to, to clean the statue. But hey, can we help those suffering from being unhoused? Those who and, and there were literally in Lee, what was formerly Lee Park and actually even still today, a homeless encampment yeah. Yeah. of folks that are there. So it's like, well, you calling this guy like, oh, emergency, come spray, clean the statue, clean the graffiti off the statue. Now it's like, why don't you take that energy? And so this is what I'm talking when I'm talking about moral choices. Yeah. Where are we going to expend our energy, our time, 
our staff resources, our money, yeah. that sort of thing. It's 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 uh, uh, an an issue, and and uh, and then there's moral risks in, in anything. Like I said, there's even there are more in whatever you do, including melting down. That that has its own. Like I said, if you're spending money on that, you're not spending it on something else. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and that and and it's it's quite an ambitious uh, proposal that we have, you know, to take the materials of a harmful statue and make them available uh, to an artist to create a, a work of art you know, that that expresses our community's value. You know, about we're a 21st century multiracial democracy. Mm-hmm. What would that look like in terms of art, rather than a white supremacist 19th century society? you know, slaveholding society. We want better art. We deserve better art. Well, and our public art, I think, reflects the stories we tell about ourselves. You just talked Mm -hmm. about, right, a myth as ideology and narrative form. We can think Mm -hmm. about these memorials as the values of our communities in statue form, in memorial form. So if we're going to have a multiracial democracy where all experience equality and representation and inclusion, that the things that represent us in public, our public space is not neutral. We have to imbue that space with the values we purport to hold. And so you can see why this is so important. I want to just, you've taken us through the very uh, painful uh, history that starts in 2016 and ends uh, and brings us till today. You've talked about the legal fights. You've talked about walking by the the neo-Confederates with guns talked about the trauma that uh, many uh, experienced uh, as a result of these events. We're now in this moment after the statue has been melted down. I'm wondering what you did make, along with dozens of others, the moral choice and took the moral risk to melt down. As we close today, would you just reflect on what that might mean in other cases around the country, Uh, whether that is in the South, whether that is in uh, the Pacific Northwest or anywhere else in the United States, what does making that choice perhaps signal to anyone who is looking? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, part of what we were doing, we being organizers around the Swords into Plowshares project, was that we wanted to present another option. We wanted to broaden the range of uh, potential actions that communities can take when they are confronting these material objects that 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 uh, uh, represent such harmful narratives. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the, 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 the range of options had heretofore been you leave it there, you just leave the statue there. Or uh, maybe you add a mealy mouth plant with a bunch of caveats about how we don't believe this anymore and it doesn't really interrupt the physical, the visual plane of, of a huge monument. Or you remove it oh, and put it in storage and it just sits there in a state of moral stasis. Or you ship it down the road to some or you know you put it put it in a museum boy i hope they hope they do responsible curation hope that the next curator that comes in uh kind of keeps with the critical uh stance toward it that can change too boards of directors change priority you know right go in storage as a go to a battlefield same same kinds of thing and we wanted to broaden that range of options just to include destruction and we're not saying that every community should do this with every statue that is removed. And we're not even saying that every statue should be. I mean, it's like different communities have to make 
those decisions, informed decisions and, you know, historically informed decisions, because that's the thing. There's a lot of kind of very slipshod thinking going on about, oh, like erasing history. It's like, oh, if you don't have this statue, then we'll somehow not. It's like, oh, we're never going to forget General Lee. Trust. (laughs) But we're reframing is is what we're doing. So we we wanted to have this be kind of another option that's out there for communities to consider. You know, you know, and I think a lot of people were shocked, but all those that kind of did approve, kind of said, wow, any community should melt down a statue. It should be Charlottesville melting down the Robert E. Lee statue, you know, of all places. So that there, there was kind of a nod of sympathy, even from people that might otherwise not approve of such an iconoclastic act. So it's it's another option that's out there and other Communities can consider that also by kind of moving the Overton window, yes. as it were, over, you know, to to include uh, destruction or tr- we prefer transformation because we're still going to have the materials. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's not going away. We're not erasing history. We're transforming it. And when in the end, this new work of art is installed, we'll make sure that that will be part of the narrative of it. The materials for this statue were taken from a statue that had been here for 90 some years. And we had, this will all be explained. We're not kind of expunging mm-hmm. this. Yeah, right. we're, we're taking control of, of, of the narrative and, and telling the story about ourselves and our nation and our community That's, that we want to tell. You know what I mean? So it's about having more options available. And by moving the Overton window over just a little further, it's like, ooh, look at what Charlottesville did. Maybe it makes things on the other side, like just plain removal. Maybe it makes it just a little bit easier to kind of, I mean, and, and some, some city councils and other were kind of making, when there were just kind of repeated incidents of tagging of statues and this sort of thing, or chipping away at this acts of so-called vandalism. That some elected officials who didn't want to expend too much political capital on it, I mean, they kind of privately didn't like the statue, would prefer that it be gone, didn't want to make it into an election year issue, this sort of thing. With those kind kind of extra legal (laughs) options that, you know, that some some activists were using, I call them aerosol artists, that it became easier for elected officials to say, oh, well, we need to, to, for its own protection, we need we need to move it out, you know, the, the public park and we'll put it in storage and then, and then it kind of yeah. gets forgotten or this sort of thing. But, you know, they're, they're just kind of, it has been in the last four or five years or so, just kind of more movement and, and thinking about how different communities want public space to look like and, and, you know, and what to do. And so, you know, wanted to, this is what we wanted to do. This is what our community decided to do. We, like I said, we were sued. As soon as we filed that, you know, submitted that uh, uh, application to city council, when, when Swords into Plowshares was submitted in, in October of, of 2021, oh, it was castigated by some, by kind of the usual suspects, neo-Confederates and such. Um, and then when the city council voted unanimously, it should be said, in December of 21 to approve giving the Lee statue, the city's Lee statue away, transferring ownership to the Jefferson School African-American Heritage Center for the express purpose of melting it down. It's never, it's not some sneaky plan or something. It was very publicly stated, this is what we're doing. Um, And our duly elected officials and community members said, yes, this is what we want. 
and anyone else are detractors, they themselves could have submitted a proposal. Again, it's a the problem is it's a physical ob object that exists in the world. It's taking up space. So if you have a better plan mm -hmm. of what you think could be done with this object, please submit an application to city council. And very few people did. Yeah. You know, and and yeah. and it turns out that of the very few applications that came in, the city council looked at all the options and said, oh, this one is the most extensive. This is an organization, the Jefferson School African-American Heritage Center, that is a local nonprofit that we trust. And uh, the offer they're putting forward here is uh, cogent and good. And, you know, and, and it was good. We did this all above board. Yeah. This was all legal. And then we were sued and we went through two years of court decision, which ended finally. On September the 26th, 2023, when the judge came back and, and we were green-lighted. So, you know, we we went through all the channels. You know, we got the law changed, got it removed, put in an application to to for swords into plowshares to take possession of this, to melt it down. And, and that's what we've done. And so other communities, they're going to have to decide you know, on their own processes. And hopefully that they will be well-informed, that they'll do the nitty gritty historical work, you know, because I guarantee you, once you kind of start scratching in the archives a little bit about whatever your statue is, yep. wherever you are in the country, yeah. about what the historical context was of when it was installed, who was behind it, what they said at the installation ceremonies, those are real doozies. Let me tell you, go and look at those speeches and some of the most rank racist thinking was on display by, by by some of the speakers at these installation ceremonies. I just encourage other communities to do that. We went through a six-year process. This didn't just emerge overnight, Swords into Plowshares. This is the product of hundreds of hours of community organizing, meeting, hearings, you know, all sorts of actions in the courts, in city council, in the state legislature. Yeah, It's hundreds of hours of work uh, to, to have arrived at this place. And I encourage other local communities to undertake a process like this, do that deep dive in the archives, find some college students or something. Yes. People make their history project about, you know, do, do that deep dive, find out about it, okay. start rattling some cages and decide to think, think really deliberately about how you want public space to look and what would it mean to have public space express democratic values. That, that part is something I just, for those of you listening, I want to close with that because it, you, you talked about the story. You talked about transforming the story. And I just want to reiterate that what you talked about is a statue that represents and tells the ideology and narrative of a 19th century slaveholding society. By melting the statue and transforming it, you're telling a story of who we think we want to be now. We want to be a multiracial, pluralist democracy based on inclusion and equality for all people. So melting the statue and transforming it is not about erasing history. History and the myth or story of who we are are different. History, we, as you said, we will remember and chronicle. And this is not about expunging Lee from the historical record. This is about transforming the story that we are going to tell about our communities, about ourselves, about our nation, and doing so by transforming what is represented in the public square. That, to me, is the... Uh, the inspiration. And I will just say, friends, if you're not inspired to be a historian now and J Dr. Schmidt's absolute uh, just inspiring work, uh, then, you know, you should you should think about 
switching majors or going back to graduate school to do that. We are out of time. I've taken up a, a bunch of your day already. Uh, friends, if you'd like to stay connected to what's happening with this story, you should go to the Swords and the Plowshares website and make sure to stay connected there. But Dr. Schmidt, what are That's other avenues? com. That's sipcville.com. Okay. Yeah. Are there other mm -hmm. ways to, to stay abreast of what's happening? Yeah, that's probably the best. We update there with news stories about us. And of course, there's donation uh, link there as well, if you'd like to support us that way and, and just kind of look at the work that we're doing and think about how you might um, do something similar in your own community. I love, I, so I'm just going to give you one anecdote. I, uh, Japanese American and have thousands of pages of reading, just it's not my academic specialty about Japanese internment, et cetera. And one of the biggest proponents in California is Earl Warren. And if you walk out of the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco, San Francisco being one of the centers of Asian American history, right next to the Asian Art Museum is the Earl Warren Building. And every time I see it, I just like seethe with anger because unless you do that public history, if you, you have no idea that this man who was one of the biggest proponents of putting Japanese folks, Japanese American folks in camp has his name right next to the Asian Art Museum, et cetera. Anyway, so it's just one absolutely. example of what you were talking about. Yeah, Art absolutely. All right, friends, thank you for being here. As always, find us at Straight White JC. Find uh, all the information about uh, our show and what we do in the show notes. We'll be back later this week with the week. Uh, with, it's in the code in the weekly roundup. But for now, I'll just say thanks for being here. Have a good day.